Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, guys. It is Wednesday, August 12, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and in studio today is our intern, David. He'll be joining us in just a little bit. Hope you guys had a fantastic uh, day so far. If you missed last night's show, it was a fun one. We had our buddy Enoch Miller on from West Hollywood with a West Coast Entertainment Minute. He's our special correspondent from out there. Talked about everything happening in beautiful downtown California. And then our very special guest interview was Tim Murray. He's an amazing actor, comedian, and writer. We talked about some of his acting where he acted against, yeah, Channing Tatum, Jamie Foxx, just a couple of names like that. And he's worked with some of the best in Broadway, and his YouTube channel is hilarious. Right now, he's doing a Slumber Party live series where he's interviewing all sorts of alphabets. So if you're a Wicked fan like I am, you have to check it out. Tonight, we're going to have a great show for you as well. In just a couple seconds, we're going to do our regular Wednesday segment, J&J Buzz, from our favorite boys down in Nashville, Tennessee, fiancés. Josh and Jeff will be on to let us know what's going on for our Wednesday Pop Culture Minute. And then we have our very special guest interview today. Mr. Caleb Gossett is here calling in from Chicagoland. And we're going to be talking all about a little bit of HIV awareness, which is a subject, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. I like to talk about it from time to time, and it is a good time to bring it up again. So we're going to have uh, Caleb on in just a couple of moments. But let's go ahead and get jump right on into it with our Pop Culture Minute from J&J Buzz. Hopefully David has that queued up for me in studio. We'll be back in just a little bit. And you're listening to Left to Straight Show right here on the Left to Straight Show. You are Radio listening. Network. You are listening. To Josh and Jeff on J&J Buzz. Exclusively on Left of Straight Radio Network. Now, live from Nashville, Tennessee, here's Josh and Jeff. What up, y'all? Hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Everybody good? Everybody good? I'm good. You know, we just had a rainstorm in Nashville, and the thunderstorm just sat over the city. Everybody's flooded. It was terrible. I don't like storms. He doesn't like storms. So I've had to wait until he got in a little better attitude before we did our podcast segment. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> We're just kidding. We're always in a good mood. Always, always. 
we got some interesting news. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm going to go first. Oh, okay, go first then. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but before we do that, what was last week? Last Your birthday. Week was my birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah, Dirty 30. Oh, you just got to announce it that I'm in the next uh, decade. Yeah, well, to be honest, I started, you know, I asked somebody in their 20s to marry me. <laughs> Well, it's all good because I still look like I'm in my 20s. You do. You look amazing. Thank you. You're the best. I love you. All right. um, So here's some interesting news uh, that, quite frankly, uh, it's kind of weird. It was reported by Queerty. University president of Fisk University is accused of drugging, threatening, secret gay lover, and now he's on leave. So this is a really weird story. A, A judge in Nashville granted this uh, anonymous person, uh, a restraining order against the president of Fisk University in Nashville and alleges that the dude then showed back up to his apartment and all this stuff, drugged him, GHB, and then let other guys come over and do their thing while he was in his drug state. Well, the uh, president has denied this of Fisk University. So wait, the first time it was cool. Yeah, and then the, the second I time guess he that's, drugged him. Yeah, the second time he drugged him, he showed up unannounced, mm-hmm. and he alleges that he uh, drugged this guy. And now, uh, anyway, he's the the Fisk University president is married, has kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Listen, I'm I'm all about believing people, uh, but something is just kind of fishy with this story. Yeah, that's a little strange. It is a little strange. What well, do you got on that subject, <laughs> Alex Morse? A congressional candidate in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. <laughs> he has vowed to stay in the race even... after being accused of non-consensual relations with students. What? But he admits to having consensual relationships with a few of them through dating apps. <gasps> okay, so he's saying that he didn't do any, he didn't rape anybody or, you know, it's all was consensual. Yeah. That's okay. what he says, so it's right. his story. Let him tell it. You know what? I mean, <laughs> the uh, tea is just continuing to get spilt uh, around here with all that. Now, uh, before I tell you this next, I don't know if you've heard this song. So, um, Jeffrey was in the pen. I love saying that. <laughs> he was in the pen for five years. Uh, and so, I don't know if you actually got to hear this song when it came out. And I just heard it today again, and I'm in love with it. So I'm going to play a little bit of it. It's from Caswell. It's called Cakes. You got cakes? I got icing. Flip it over. Let me see that nice thing. I got icing. Yeah, I got icing. I'm going to put a candle in it, blow it out nicely. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely have not ever heard that. (laughs) Uh, He says later on in the song something like, I will always be number one. Be your number one vagina decliner. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, just with all this, like, bad news in the community, I just wanted to remind us of this song. You saw the video? I'm about to now. (laughs) Yeah, which is just butts and birthday cake. It's Okay. It's nice. nice. All right, what do you got? Okay. Well, okay, everybody knows Grinder. They are working with YourSafe now to offer new security. Okay. Do you what, know, what's that mean? How much do you think Grindr is worth? I don't know. Nine ninety nine a month? No, no, no. How much is the company worth? Oh, I don't know. A couple billion or million or something? Uh, $608.5 million. 
Wait, six hundred eight point five million dollars. Oh wow! Really? <laughs> I thought a Chinese company owned it. Well, they did, but in two thousand sixteen, Rick Marini Marinini mm-hmm. uh, I don't know <laughs> purchased it from the company in China. Oh, okay. Well, that's I good. Mean, from the people in China. From the people. Well, that's that. I mean, I don't know what to say about that except. The China we're, people. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not Trump. We're not saying the China virus. Oh, no, it wasn't no, bad. No. <laughs> well, that's cool. So so what was the story? Uh, they're, they're increasing security? Yeah. Okay. To keep your, you know, your information and all that good stuff safe. Well, it's about time because I felt that... that you know, they just didn't care. <laughs> they might not. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, I'm Josh. All right. And I'm Jeff. And you've been listening to J&J Buzz. Buzz. Have a good Y'all day. This was J&J Buzz, exclusively on Left of Straight Radio Network. Alrighty, guys, we are back. Thanks, as always, to our buddies, Jeff and Josh. Beyonce's down in Nashville, Tennessee. I talked to them today. They were finishing up some wedding plans down there, so they're getting ready for the big wedding this December, so excited for them. Guys, speaking of excited, my next time on the show, he has a Master's of Health Administration degree, currently working in Chicago to integrate the national HIV curriculum into health professional programs throughout a 10-state region. He's experienced in the areas of program development, community engagement, case management, linkage to care, and sexual health. He promotes a message of empowering marginalized populations to live healthier, enhance lives, and bring awareness and passion for HIV AIDS, just as my generation has done in the past. I'm excited to talk about this and all the successes we've had and what still needs to be done. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Caleb Gossett. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? Hello, I'm doing great. Oh my God, thank you for that introduction. I feel so special. <laughs> you are just a fancy person. You have a big intro uh, and everything now because you oh are impressive. Gosh. Impressive, <laughs> thank Mr. You so Caleb. I'm thank telling you. you this. Thanks for well, coming thank on you the so show. How's everything? Oh, you're welcome. How's everything in beautiful Chicagoland tonight? It's doing okay. I think um, weather-wise, we're doing pretty good compared to how it usually can be. I mean, we are in the Midwest, so I mean, anyone from the Midwest or knows that that weather can change on a dime. We can have all different weather and climate within one day, but it's been pretty consistent and warm, so I'm liking it. Right. Well, I'm about six, six and a half hours to the east of you in northeast Ohio, and I have a couple of good friends that live in Chicago. So I just say, text me if a big storm comes through, because there's a 50% chance we'll get it about seven hours later. So, right. I'll give go. you a heads up. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Well, talk about how you've been doing through COVID. Are you, I mean, you're in big city now. Are you a cook? Yeah. Are you a Postmates guy? Are you going broke on takeout? How are oh you holding up the pandemic? I've had like these different just ups and downs. And I feel like these eras with like each month I've got a new obsession. So I adjusted pretty well, I would say, compared to some of those that I know. I feel like it was a hard adjustment for them. But like the first month, I all of a sudden got this motivation to work out, and I was reading books, and I was FaceTiming friends and still being social, 
And then, yeah, and then I got into a little bit of cooking the next month, and then all of a sudden I lost all of it. And then now I'm on TikTok and painting my nails. So we'll see what's next. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. That told you off air. I have a friend of mine that is uh, an ardent follower on TikTok. I have the face for radio, so I do not do the TikTok, but I do go down the <laughs> rabbit hole pretty much every other night watching these things. So I am now going to be obsessed with you probably. Talk oh, about what got addictive. you onto that platform. Well, it's, I honestly, one of my friends got me on because he, I don't know, he's always just been a very creative person. And I don't know, he just inspired me to, to make a video one day and it got uh, quite a few views. And I was like, oh, and I, I, I'm one that laughs at my own jokes, even when other people don't. So if you do follow me on TikTok, you'll find any of the videos I make are pretty much I'm making myself laugh. And if it makes you laugh, then great. And for some reason, nice. I've gotten quite a few followers in the last few months because I guess other people think I'm funny. So it's working out. There you go. I like it. TikTok is a weird animal, but I do go down that rabbit hole. Do you do the challenges they have? They have like 8 million so, challengers, it seems. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like meme culture at this point. Like a meme can live and die in a single 24-hour day. And so <laughs> I think it's the same thing with the challenges. And so I really just, like I said, most of the time I'm making videos to make myself laugh. And if I make other people laugh, then so be it. But um, I'm not really good at a coordinated dance or anything like that. So I kind of avoid those so I don't look too stupid. Nice. I think it's funny they have all this controversy now, of course, about banning TikTok and things like that. Uh, but I will say the one thing, that's probably the the most stringent algorithm I've ever seen because I always make a joke that I can um, whisper something to my friend about something I want and Google's going to have an ad for it the next day, whether I've typed oh anything in or not. But yeah. TikTok knows how gay I am. He knows my type. He knows my, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, it's so curated for me. And it's crazy the people that you get for your little suggestions on there. I, yeah, I well, it's kind, of a, it's kind of an ongoing joke that TikTok's one of the best, like, dating apps. Because, like you just said, it's going to show you the people that you want to see. And so, I mean, if you find <laughs> another sing, single TikToker out there and connect with them, you might have just found your partner. There you go. I like it. Tinder 2.0. Tinder TikTok. Very, very cool. (laughs) Nice. Well, let's give a little bit of background for me, Caleb. Tell me about growing up. Where did you grow up and what kind of a kid were you? Okay. Um, Well, I came from a small town uh, called Muncie. Uh, It's located in Indiana. And if anybody knows, any of your listeners uh, know Ball State, University, that is where it's located. Uh, Ball State is pretty much the only thing there in Muncie that it has going for it <laughs> right now. Um, but even at a young age, I knew that I wanted to get out and about. I didn't want to stay in my hometown, which uh, no shade against anyone that does. Uh, but I just knew that from a young age, that wasn't for me. So then um, and I, when I went to college, I moved away uh, more south to Indianapolis and was there for seven years to get my bachelor's and master's. And then I moved to Chicago in 2018. So nice. Um, but as far as what kind of kid I was, I would say I've I've just been gay my whole life. <laughs> and it's so <laughs> funny. 
Because now looking back, I was like, how did everybody know? And then I'm like, oh, it was probably the Spice Girls diary that my mom got me or the Barbies or the Barbie <laughs> Jeep. Or it, there's just a multitude of examples. And so I don't know. I was very loving. I was always the kid that hugged my teachers, still a big hugger. So I've always just been uh, aggressively optimistic and very loving. And I feel like that's just still continued throughout my life. I like that. Yeah, some people have hints growing up. Some people have 3D pictures they can look back on. I understand. I have lots yeah. of friends that way myself. So very <laughs> good. And let's talk about this education. I mean, um, was that your plan, HIV early? Where did this advocacy come from? Were you always interested in the health field? Um, where did the, where did the schooling come from, and was that your original ideas? Uh, short answer is no. I actually wanted to be a dentist, potentially orthodontist, um, but my first chemistry requirement said no to that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I tried so hard. I had tutors. Some of my closest friends were TAs in chemistry classes, and it just did not work out. So um, when I was really in, uh, in my undergrad thinking about what I wanted to do with my career. And it was very, it was a long, the same time that I was actually coming out to, um, I believe this was around 2013, 2014, I got into health services management and public health. And then one day there was right. a career fair at my college at IUPUI in Indianapolis. And um, I went up to this table with no clue what I wanted to do, just told them I wanted to work with people. And it was an HIV organization called the Damien Center, uh, again, in Indianapolis. And they, long story short, gave me an internship. And ever since, I have worked in the HIV field or volunteered and just been involved in some way. Very cool. I like that. And what was probably the most surprising thing you learned in school? And what was one of the most interesting things maybe you learned? Um, one of the most surprising things, and I still say it to this day, I think that colleges need to do a better job of is really preparing students by letting them know what else they need to be doing outside of just getting good grades. Mm. You need to be getting experience, whether that be through internships or vol volunteering or just getting your name out there in any way that you can through networking opportunities. Um, and really doing some extracurricular activities if you can afford it, really building up that resume and putting as much on there as you possibly can, because realistically, when you're going out for a job um, or just pursuing your career, a lot of employers aren't looking at your grades and what you did. They want to know how you can best do the job that you're applying for. And I feel like colleges don't really do a great job of that. Gotcha. Very, very cool. And talk about as far as your HIV studies go and your classroom studies for your degree, what, um, what kept your interest? What things did you find there of interest to you? What were you surprised yeah. maybe in your curriculum? Oh, so my bachelor's is in health services management and my master's is health administration, which different titles, pretty much the same thing. Um, gotcha. So, uh, 
but with those, their their public health degrees just with kind of like a business overtone, you know, like the the administrators, uh, the managers, so on and so forth. And what I was surprised right. at is because when I got my internship, I was getting into that major in my undergrad, and so I was like, okay, I'm really hooked and starting to get this passion for HIV and working with people. Now, if I want to be an administrator, I need to get this. And so since I kind of knew what path I wanted to take, I was like, this is going to be great. And when I got through my courses, and I would say this both for my undergrad and master's, a lot of the courses, if not all, were focused on like hospital settings. And I think that's right. because our, our healthcare system for so long has been built around hospitals and providing mm. healthcare in any form from, from that environment. And so and I think within the last 10, maybe even only five years, we've seen that, that huge change, like into small clinics. Telehealth has really changed the healthcare system, um, different changes in insurances, uh, so on and so forth. And so I think that just comes from that's what the, the programs have known, because that's what typically people with those degrees go towards. And so I think as they move forward, they're going to have to really adjust their curriculums to better train future administrators in different settings other than hospitals. Gotcha. Very interesting. I mean, healthcare is such a weird, it's got to be weird because it's evolving and so political all the time, right? You never know where you're really going to head to, right? And that's the thing too. They told us um, that because I started my undergrad in 2011 and so and then the ACA was passed in 2010 I believe and someone can correct me if I'm wrong on that so that was just coming to fruition and and um, those changes were happening and then people were already trying to tear that down and also add to it at the same time and so it's um it was just yeah it's crazy it's ever evolving wow Crazy, crazy stuff. Let's talk. Let's go back to um, you talked about your coming out experience a little bit. When did you first come out to yourself, and when do you say you kind of first saw your LGBT tribe, found your LGBTQ tribe? Oh wow! Um, so when I officially came out to myself, I would say I again in hindsight I always knew there there was a moment in a specific conversation I think when I was about like six with my Mm -hmm. neighbor who is a girl and is actually openly lesbian now and we were having a conversation as simple as like I was really upset that people wouldn't let me play with girl toys all the time and she was upset that people wouldn't let her wear boy clothes something along those lines and so that was a really I, I identifying moment for me in hindsight but I would say when I really started like identifying it was in middle school and then that's when I started actively trying to repress it you know Mm, Um, yeah but it wasn't until college uh, that I I had an experience with my first boy and uh, I would consider my boyfriend and we were completely uh, secret on the DL, both of us, uh, we went to different colleges and that lasted about six months, um, before that kind of all fell apart, which I think was doomed from the start. Um, (laughs) but then when I met my second boyfriend 
and I must preface this, I met both my first boyfriends in PCB on spring break and closeted <laughs> both times. Yeah, so I definitely found love in a hopeless place there. So I don't know what magic was happening, but it definitely worked. Um, my second boyfriend, when I met him, I really felt like head over heels for him. Like, and it just felt so right. He was, he was open and he was, um, or he was out, sorry. Um, and he, I just loved how confident he was. And long story short with that, we, we ended up getting together and through his help, I came out and I was in a fraternity in undergrad. And so I came out to a majority of my friends by bringing him to our party. Um, oh, wow. Which, yeah, which was a choice, oh. but thankfully it went really well. <laughs> Everyone was very accepting. A lot of people were shocked. Um, some were just like, awesome, here's a shot. Um, and then <laughs> we, we were together for about six years, and then eventually we just sort of uh, grew apart and it ended. Uh, but I'm very thankful for those six years and how much growth happened and everything that he provided to me. And sure. so I think it was around that time when we got together and I came out, that's when I really accepted it. You know, like I had to really accept it and be in that relationship and I didn't want to hide anymore. And that honestly, it, it that was like the start of my life. It felt like, cause that's when I got into HIV as well. Nice. I love that. That's a great story. Well, talk about when did you, uh, what was your first job in the HIV field? Is it your current one or did you have something before this? What was your very first job working in HIV education? No, so it was actually my first internship um, that I was talking about in the summer of 2014 um, that I kind of just stumbled upon at a IUCUI career fair. So it was at the Damien Center, which is an AIDS service organization in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, their, their big thing is that they're really a one-stop shop when it comes for HIV services. So anything from um, providing those medical services, care coordination, housing, the list goes on. Um, so right. getting into that, and I was just an HR intern, I'll say, and I guess I shouldn't say just an HR intern, but um I was there for the summer and I had an amazing boss and mentor, um, Justin, who was the director of HR. Um, and he just really, I think he just saw something in me uh, as an individual who could be molded to be something great in not only the Damien Center, but maybe even looking forward into HIV. And I really give him kudos for doing that for me. And it really exposed me to, um, I mean, because being HR, you really have to talk with everyone, know everything that's going on in the organization. So um, I really got a good overall insight into how things were done in every facet of HIV care treatment and prevention. Wow, that's a great kind of immersive start to that. I like that. Yeah. Very, very cool. And talk about what brought you to where you're at now. So I skip forward a few years from, from that, I actually went back to the Damien Center and became a prep program manager. Um, so that, and that was a brand new position at the time uh, for them and their prep services were relatively new as well. And so they wanted to bring someone in to really um, establish themselves as a prep provider and really educate um, 
pretty much the entire city of Indianapolis because Damien Center is very well known. Right. I really grew as a professional, um, really getting out there and meeting the community where they are to do education, which further uh, increased my passion. I mean, at one point I was at a nudist gathering doing a prep talk, which is one of the most interesting <laughs> things I've done. And I, I really, it was great. I mean, after a while, it, it I didn't feel um, tempted to look down, but it, it went really well. Through the that work in the community and really becoming, I would say, the prep guy of central Indiana, um, I made some connections with the Midwest AIDS Training and Education Center in Indianapolis. They have multiple chapters throughout the Midwest and in our 10-state region. And they let me know that a regional position was coming up in Chicago at their central office uh, for a new grant that they got. And so I looked into it, and I, like I had said before, I really had a lot of determination to get out of Indiana at any cost. And so I, I took the role, and so I've been here for going on two years in October. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, So you're a you. chapter director for Illinois for the entire state or for – just the Chicagoland area, or, or how big is your area that you kind of overlook? No, so I'm a regional uh, project coordinator for uh, a project here at the Midwest AIDS Training and Education Center. And so um, my project covers the entire Midwest, but we are working specifically with seven of the 10 states in our region. And so my That's project, it, it's funded by HRSA. Um, in the HIV AIDS Bureau within the HHS. And so we are actively working to add HIV curriculum into programs of medicine, nursing, and pharmacy throughout the Midwest so that we can better equip to the next generation of clinicians. Because, mm, um, I love that. Yeah, because what we found is that a lot of the HIV specialists that we have right now are became HIV specialists when the epidemic hit or shortly after. And so that's um, all they've done. And so that they've, they've filled that need. But a lot of them are retiring now. And what we found is a lot of the newer clinicians are, are not interested in HIV. They're not getting into it. And I think that's because they don't really have a lot of exposure about it anymore because HIV has changed a lot in the last few decades. It's not fatal anymore. And so it's really something that we think doesn't really require specialists, actually. This HIV can be manageable by primary care providers. We just have to make sure all of these programs that are training these clinicians are giving them the information and education that they need to do so. Right, because it's still a thing. I mean, I remember a couple years ago when Alexis Arquette passed away from AIDS, and that was only like three or four years ago. I was yeah. shocked because I did not, uh, I didn't think that people really passed away from AIDS anymore because you yeah. didn't hear about that that much, but there's still, I mean, technically I think I read where it's like maybe 15,000 plus die from die who have AIDS, but they don't track if they died from AIDS anymore. You don't find that out very easily. Right. Yeah. Well, it's because technically people don't die from AIDS It's because AIDS is what, the the condition it, it just decreases your immune system so you're not able to fight off other things and so gotcha. if an individual okay. is never actually diagnosed with HIV uh, and or AIDS 
then they and they have cancer, let's say, then they're probably going to be just marked as dying from cancer. Um, it just really right. depends. Yeah, it, it's just uh, it's it's still around. I mean, we talk about we're doing COVID now and they're trying to get this seen for COVID in six months. And we've been having AIDS around since early 80s and there's no vaccine for that. We've got a lot of treatments now, right? But we don't, we've never had a vaccine. So it's very interesting how the disease has progressed and changed. And what do you think people would be most shocked to find out about the disease right now? Well, I think because the, the narrative is that like HIV isn't a thing anymore, you know, it's not really in the mainstream news. People aren't dying as we said. And so I think people would be really shocked to know that there's still right now, 1.2 million Americans living with HIV. And of those one in seven don't know that they have HIV. A lot of individuals Mm. will get a diagnosis for HIV and a diagnosis of age and AIDS, sorry, in, in the same visit because they've, they've waited so long, they don't know the signs and symptoms. And um, so, yeah, and that, that doesn't include, those numbers don't include people who haven't been diagnosed yet because people aren't getting tested as much as they should. And so right. we, still have an, we still have an average of 40,000 new HIV diagnoses every year just in the U.S. alone. And of those, it's the 25 to 34 age group that's getting it most, right? It's still a relatively young group that are yeah, just so, not paying attention somehow or something. I don't know. Yeah, crap, I, I don't understand the, what's causing this. Well, I think it's I think it's because it's just not in the uh, again the main the mainstream media. It's not talked about as often amongst everyone. I think as um, gay and queer people in general, I think we're well aware of it because typically we're the ones that are working in these organizations, working on these initiatives, donating, what so forth. Um, and I think for a time there when it got bad enough and we actually uh, had like the Ryan White Cares Act happen and we actually had, let's say, straight people, people who aren't really thinking about HIV as often right now, actually thinking about it. And caring enough to to say, yeah, like this is something I need to be worrying about and taking precautions for. And so, like you said, we all age groups, we are slowly seeing decreases of new diagnosis, but it's that 25 to 34 age group that actually we're seeing small upticks each year or at least stable Mm -hmm. in new diagnosis each year. And I think that's... I think that attributes to a failing sexual health education system. Right. That's what I was going to say. And I just, I just think that that's an amazing statistic. Now you're actually in a conference right now going on. What are, what are you learning? What are the different uh, topics you're hoping to explore? Talk about this conference you have going on this week this virtual conference. Yeah. So every two years, um, HRSA puts on the Ryan, the National Ryan White Conference. It's typically located in D.C., but obviously with COVID-19, we can't have large uh, gatherings. So this year they went completely virtual and it started yesterday and it goes through Friday. And so this is typically an opportunity for all these different HIV advocates, medical providers, anyone that is a stakeholder in the HIV, in HIV and the services that are provided for people living with HIV 
Um, it's typically just to provide updates on how that work is going and what we're finding and so on and so forth. And so I'm really looking forward to learning some updates about PrEP um, because what we've expected is that PrEP is going to continue to see different options being created on how to um, introduce it to people and have people adhere to it, just like we've seen with birth control, having a variety of different ways to take that. Um, so I'm really excited to learn about that, learn about how we can better engage women in HIV care since they are very often left out and gay cisgender men are usually the only ones that are focused on when it comes to HIV services as a generalization. And so right. I'm excited to learn about whether their work is being done throughout the country. Because um, for the longest time, I mean, being in Indiana, I mean, the state that provided us Mike Pence, we're, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> it, we, were, we were always so behind on everything when it came to HIV. And anytime we'd want to take a few steps forward, it seemed like we were always pushed back, you know? And so it's really exciting to be in Chicago with a very progressive, and it seems like ahead of the game, it's been kind of a sort of a culture shock for me in adapting here, and I, I adore it and I love it. So it's exciting to also hear what other initiatives are being done across the country too. Nice. Let's talk about OutCare a bit. I was going through the website, pretty amazing organization. Oh, yeah. Um, talk, talk about um, how you came aware and working with that. Okay. Yeah, so let me, so OutCare, for anyone listening, is a um, online directory of LGBT-friendly providers. Um, so you can go on there and put in your address, put in a zip code and the specialty of provider that you're looking for, and it will provide you some LGBT-friendly providers in that area. And so I am volunteering my time as the Illinois director to help really promote that service and to get more clinicians on that directory. And the organization OutCare is actually trying to move forward into providing some actual certifications and LGBT friendly, um, just education and competency training too. And so during my time as a prep program manager in Indianapolis at the Damien Center before my current position, um, I came in contact with the founders of OutCare. So initially when I met them, we actually went to the same college. They were expanding this and just doing LGBT competency training in the IU School of Medicine uh, with fellow right. students. And then it turned into this platform to educate and create a directory of providers throughout the state of Indiana. And then once I left, I got word that they were actually expanding into other states and trying to go national. And so when I looked on their site, I didn't see much of Illinois, uh, even with Chicago, which we have Howard Brown Healthcare, which is, I would say, the LGBT healthcare provider when it comes to Chicago. And a lot of those providers weren't on there. So I was like, how can I help? How can I get involved? And so I, I came on again, volunteering my time in that role. And so things have kind of slowed down because of COVID. Um, but I think we've, we've kind of balanced out now and we're going to get back to doing some outreach and getting more providers on the directory and trained so that not only, so people outside of Chicago can know where they can go for those types of services too. 
Well, good on you for spending your time there. And it is an excellent resource, Scott. I love little drop-down state-by-state resources, which are really handy and everything. So that's awesome. I'm so excited that you're you're working with that. Uh, Let's talk about a couple things um, and go through them. Let's talk about prep. Give us some of the myths and give us some of the things we need to know about prep. Because there's a lot out there, right? Yeah, there is a lot out there. Oh my gosh, I wish I had a. I used to have a slideshow that we would do with community um, leaders on the myths and misconceptions of HIV and prep, and I wish I had that in front of me so we could go through them. But unfortunately, I do not. So um, let me first go through maybe like just like what prep is. I guess let's make sure everyone understands what we're talking about. So prep, uh, P R. EP is uh, an acronym for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And so this is a prevention medication that is used by people uh, without HIV that they take daily, as of right now, that is the only um, form that's approved, a daily one pill uh, to prevent them from getting HIV. And so the best uh, comparison is, again, birth control. Uh, A lot of women will take one form as a daily pill to prevent getting pregnant. And so um, one misconception about it is that it is sort of like a vaccine that we put HIV in a pill to prevent it. No, that's that's not it. Uh, it it's just a pill that is actually Truvada and or, uh, or Descovy are the two that are FDA approved to be taken one pill daily. Um, they are actually used in treatment for people who have HIV, but in combination with other medication, uh, depending on the therapy regimen that the provider will prescribe. And what we found back in 2012, after a few studies, um, it showed that it was effective by itself to prevent it. And then recently we found uh, Descovy is very effective in doing the same. Hmm. Um, Very nice. Yeah, and one other thing that I I will say, especially because there are so many misinformation ads on social media, and I've seen even television ads now, is about the concerns with um, kidney function and bone marrow, and uh, which are are questions that I got a lot, even to this day, since working in prep and really being vocal as an advocate um, and allowing people to come to me with any questions they may have. So there are... um, rare side effects of kidney function decrease. That is true. However, most of the studies that we found, it is extremely rare, like less than 1% um, of individuals had kidney function decrease. And if they did have them, once they stopped the medication, uh, their functions came back to normal. And so when you're Mm -hmm. on PrEP, it is required uh, or the most common practice is to get tested and go back to see your provider every three months. So you're getting tested four times a year. They're testing you not only for HIV to make sure you're staying negative while on PrEP, but also typically for other STIs. They're testing your kidney and liver functions. So they're staying on top of that. They're making sure that if you are one of those rare cases where it does uh, affect your kidney functions, they're going to take it off, take you off of it before there is any major damage. Right. And one of the concerns is always the the regularity of it. The people are having trouble taking it every single day and they're kind of addressing those things. Talk about that part of it. Yeah. So there are multiple ways. Let's 
first let's focus on like what we currently have with the one pill a day regimens and routines. Um, I mean, if you have to, and, and maybe it'll make you feel old, but get one of those pill boxes that has each day. I know that really <laughs> helped me when I was on prep. Um, you can set an alarm on your phone, which I mean, I feel like I have my daily alarm on my phone. So that's a really easy way to do it. Um, or any other way that may work for you do a calendar reminder, you know, but one way that they have uh, one thing that may be addressing that is they are testing a, um, a periodic shot uh, that is administered by a doctor. Um, and that happens every two months instead of taking a pill every day. So you would go to the doctor every two months rather than every three months for the testing that you typically do. And you would get a shot and you would do your testing and then you'd be on your way and you'd be good to go. And so some studies have already been done about that and it's actually shown to be really efficient. And all of the um, participants in that study sh uh, noted that they wanted the shot over the pill every day. It was a lot easier for them. And so what we're seeing is this is probably going to be something that a lot of people prefer. And once it's FDA approved and available to them, Cutting out on us a bit there. Caleb, you there? Oh, yeah. I'm there here. Go. Hello. You're back. All right, oh, you're sorry. back. Yep, you, you just, that's right. You just cut for a second. You're good. So okay. One of the things you found was what now? Oh, so a daily, so, and sorry, I'll repeat that. Um, so instead of the daily pill, they're actually testing a shot that you go to the doctor to take every two months. So instead of taking right, a yeah. pill by yourself, you would go see the doctor every two months and get a shot and get your test per usual, and then you would be good to go. And the studies that we found, a lot of people preferred that option over the pill. Gotcha. And talk about um, U equals U. I think that's an important uh, campaign they have going right now, and PrEP is a big part of that. Talk, yeah. What can you share about the U equals U campaign? Yeah, so there are multiple methods in our toolbox now that we can have for HIV prevention. So PrEP, like we talked about, is one of those. And again, that is a pill and a way for people who don't have HIV to prevent getting it, along with condoms, which are commonly known, getting tested often, so on and so forth. But U equals U and treatment as prevention is a way that we can include those who already have HIV and helping to prevent the transmission of HIV moving forward. So right. what undetectable means is that an individual who is HIV positive, they, they have HIV, are able to adhere to their treatment and take their medication go see their doctor as needed, and they're able to achieve an undetectable viral load, which means when they test for HIV at their doctor's visit, it shows that the HIV is not there. It can't pick it up because there's so little of it in the body that it says that it's not there. And what we found throughout the last few years through multiple studies about un undetectable status is that when an individual who has HIV is undetectable, they can't transmit it to another individual. And many of these studies have been done um, to show that serodiscordant couples, which means one who is positive and one who is negative, um, not using any sort of protection uh, during intercourse, uh, showed that no transmissions happen. Therefore, uh, and this has been replicated multiple times, therefore U equals U, undetectable means untransmittable. 
Right. I, I love that. And I like that we kind of talk about what undetectable means because, as you said, it's been going on for so long now. We have a whole new generation of people that don't understand what AIDS was all about in the first place. So good right. on you and everyone else for doing this education. I think it needs to be done because I'm sure there's people that are hearing all this for the very first time um, yeah. that should know better, right? Well, what yeah. Would like, what would... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, what I was going to say is, I mean, we all can play a part in, in doing it. And I think that's what I realized during my time as a prep program manager is I really took that role on not only my professional life, but my personal life. I really started dedicating my personal social media accounts. I mean, we all have like a hundred now between all the apps to really share information and events and resources to let people know that this is still an issue, that if you need prep and you're having financial issues, this is how you can overcome those. Talking with your close friends and family about your sexual health and your decisions on how to protect yourself, really normalizing it, those those are all things that we can do. We're all so, we're more connected now than ever to millions of people around the world. So it, it really takes minimal effort to be an advocate as far as just speaking out about these issues today. There you go. Well said. I am so glad we had you on the show. Is there Thank anything you. other, any final words you want to make sure people know before we uh, start to wrap things up here, Caleb? Well, I, I just to really reinforce what I just said, I mean, some, uh, uh, something that we always say in HIV field is it takes a village. So it really is going to take all of us to end this epidemic. We've been fighting it for so long. And while we've come a long way and made huge strides, um, there's still a long way to go. And I think what's great is we have everything we need right now to end this epidemic. We just need to find better ways to utilize it. And I think what we can do is utilize the people that we have in our communities, utilize their connections and their passion and stop labeling them as the problem and start thinking of them as our solution. Give them the tools to change and change will actually happen. Very well said. Well, my friend, I am so impressed with everything you're doing. Thanks so much for your commitment to this and for spreading the word. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was great. Um, and if anybody wants to reach me, I mean, all of my social media handles are my name. There's no other Caleb Gossett that I know of, so I should be pretty easy to find. Uh, feel free to reach out. Anybody, if you have questions about PrEP, HIV, sexual health, anything, I keep myself available to anybody that inquires. That's fantastic. And spell your name because Caleb is spelled a little different than others. I think, <laughs> yes, everyone call, actually, everyone calls me Kalob, which is perfectly fine, too, because of how I spell it. So my name is K-A-L-O-B-G-O-S-S-E-T-T. -T. And again, it's just my full name, no spaces, no periods at pretty much everything. Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. I mean, I don't post anything on YouTube, but still, you get you get the gist. Fantastic. Caleb Gossett, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Left a Straight Show. Stay on the line for me. You've been amazing. Thanks for reaching out and sharing with our visitors all this. Yeah. We're going to play out to a little bit of a Matt Van Fossen tonight. This is I'm About to Come Alive, which I think is so appropriate after tonight's chat. You're listening to Left a Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
All righty, guys. We are back. Hope you enjoyed the show tonight. That was uh, very informative. We we have a lot of fun with a lot of interviews, and sometimes I just want to make sure you guys get some information out there. So I really appreciate Caleb Gossett coming on, talking about HIV for 45 minutes. It's still out there. You still need to be careful. But PrEP is uh, an amazing product that's working well and helping people keep from getting it. So I'm old enough that I remember when people were dying from it quite a bit. So uh, I'm glad he was able to come on and share. Of course, as always, Josh and Jeff from Nashville are J&J Buzz uh, special correspondents. Some fun stuff in their segment today, so thanks to them. We have two more days this week. We'll be back tomorrow and Friday, same time, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Tomorrow, Thursday, we're going to have our special correspondent, Ramis Ellison. She is our Thursday foodie minute every other week. So it's always fun to see if she's going to bring us a new recipe or talk about different restaurants out and about. So we'll hear from her tomorrow. And then we're going to do an interview with Beth Bowen. Very interesting story. Beth was uh, a California girl born in Fresno, California, moved to L.A. to pursue uh, acting and modeling, and she was on TV a bit. Ended up getting married relatively young and having her first kid by the time she was 24 and had four kids by the time she was 32 and went on a Bravo reality show about being a mother, uh, all while going through divorce and raising these four kids. She's now gone on to be a fantastic painter. She had some paint. uh, Some of her paintings been hung in the Louvre in Paris, France. She's going to be at Cannes Film Festival next year because it was canceled this year. So we're going to have a great conversation with her tomorrow. And then on Friday, we have an extra music day. We're going to have a Monday music on a Friday. We're going to be talking to Michael Butera from Australia and bring him on as a special guest. And we will have Jason Caceres with our Friday Fitness Minute. So lots of stuff going on the rest of the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, follow me on social media. Just straight, always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R in the number eight on Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, it's Left or Straight Show. And my personal profile, Scott Fullerton. You can send me over a friend request. Follow David and all the interns on the Left or Straight uh, radio um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Left of Straight Radio. And that's about it. Have a great evening, David. Thanks so much for working in the studio there. We appreciate you immensely. You guys have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow at 6. Bye-bye.